Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Healing the sick. Does God still heal today? I titled this broadcast, Healing the Sick. Does God still heal today? Because there is a lot of talk around this within the church. I mean, if you go on the street and ask a regular guy walking and roaming the streets whether God heals people, he would actually have a better answer than most people that are in the church. He'd probably say something like, yes, of course, even if he didn't believe in God, he'd say if there was a God, he obviously would be able to heal the sick, and he would not doubt that. Most people that say if there was a God, he would be able to do anything and nothing would be impossible with him. But then there's people that believe in a God that are not convinced thoroughly that God still heals the sick today. And so it is in the reason why I want to go through this is because we have to begin to develop the thoughts of God from the word of God concerning the area of divine healing. We have to learn to think the thoughts of God when it comes to healing of our physical bodies. Why do we have to think the thoughts of God? Well, because it is impossible to boldly claim by faith something that you're not really sure God offers. It's impossible, I'm going to repeat that, to boldly claim by faith a blessing that you are not sure God offers. If you're not sure God offers, that means God offers healing, that means you have a doubt concerning God's willingness to heal you today. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, if any man doubts, let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. So your doubt is going to cut you off from the blessing of divine healing that God has packaged for everyone that calls on his name. The Bible says very clearly that God does not show any favoritism or personal uh, or partiality. He does not have his favorite three people on planet earth that he just likes to heal and the rest are to fend for themselves. God loves the whole world, the Bible says. The scripture says he's not desiring anyone to be lost, but all to be saved. And so we know that the call to salvation is a universal call. And I want to get through this at the beginning of this broadcast. The very word salvation is the Greek word sozo. Sozo is not a specific word that is designated just for the forgiveness of our sins. The word sozo is an all-encompassing word that deals with everything. It deals with sickness. It deals with poverty. It deals with sin. It deals with sorrow. It deals with depression. It deals with anything that has to do with the spirit, the soul, and the body of man. Sozo, it is an all-inclusive word when the bible says the angel came to mary and said you shall call his name jesus the word jesus the name jesus is yesha which means god saves god saves god saves from what god saves from anything that might be oppressing you and today we're specifically going to zone in and put our attention on sickness and disease 
on the, the oppression of sickness and disease. Because you have to get this settled in your heart before we move on to anything else. Sickness is not just a regular part of life. The way we know that is because in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God created all things, when he created man, when he created trees, when he created the mountains, when he created the fish, when he created the birds, when he created man and woman in and placed them in the Garden of Eden, there is not one indication, there's not one hint, there's not one thing that shows us that sickness was present in the Garden of Eden. There was no sickness in the Garden of Eden. There was no diabetes in the Garden of Eden. There was no uh, uh, sniffles and flus or COVID-19. There was nothing like that in the Garden of Eden. And then skip forward to heaven. There will be no cancer in heaven. There's no hospitals in heaven. There's no handicapped spaces in heaven. There are no cancer wards in heaven. There are no wheelchairs in heaven. Heaven has no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no death. And the scripture says we are to pray. Jesus said, pray this way. Pray that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the will of God that is already represented in heaven is not just going to be automatically fulfilled on the earth. We have to learn how to cooperate with God by faith to pray his will from heaven into the earth. So if you just think, well, God, if he wants, if he sees it fit to heal me, then he'll heal me. If not, then, you know, this is just my lot in life. We're to choose to accept it. And we just, you know, have to bear our crosses. I'm going to go through some unscriptural teachings on divine healing. Um, but I'm going to jump the gun a bit. But that certainly is not an accurate teaching on divine healing or on God's will concerning our physical bodies. Never at any time did Jesus ever lay something, sickness, on somebody to teach them something or to lead them into a decision or to refine them or chastise them. Never does the Bible say God is cooperating with sin and sickness and the devil himself in trying to get his ultimate will fulfilled on the earth. Those are misconstrued opinions. They are misinterpretations. They may be theological tradition, but remember Jesus said you make void the word of God because you choose to keep to your theological traditions. You can actually make the word of God of no effect by keeping keeping to theological traditions that do not line up with the truth of God's word. Remember, our standard for living and our standard for believing is not what we learn or what we've read in some um, theological volume of books. It's not what some other man of God has said. It's not something that we've heard passed down through history. It's not something, well, we've always believed that way. Listen to me. The, the, the Jews from the moment Jesus came have always believed Jesus was not the Messiah. Does that make it true? Absolutely not. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ then. Jesus is the Christ now. So just because people throughout history have believed a certain way does not mean or does not give it the stamp of approval and validity um, in, in its pertinence to truth. The scriptures is the holy foundation, the pillar and ground of the truth on the earth. The Bible says the word of God is quick and active 
and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is the incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever. It will never change. It's not open to modification. It's not open to reinterpretation. It's not open to review. It is the word of God. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that it is the prophetic word confirmed. It is the settled word. It is sealed. It is uh, it, it is, um, it, it's been locked up. It, it can't be renegotiated. It is the prophetic word that we have confirmed that the Bible says is not open to private interpretation. So you can't just read it and, and read into certain things. You know, people always use the same three scriptures. Number one, they use the scripture of Timothy that was having issues with his stomach. And Paul, the Bible says, take told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach, for the ailment of his stomach. And so they use that and say, well, obviously God doesn't always see it fit to heal everybody because Timothy was had, a, had an issue with his stomach, which by the way, if you study it, in those days, the refrigeration systems were not as advanced as we have them today. And so it could be that Timothy was eating food that was had bacteria in it or had uh, perhaps succumb to the rotting process and as such he kept eating that you know it's not like they just pulled meat out of the freezer and defrosted it the night before and then ate it the next day and it had no bacteria we're talking about a time where they didn't have that advanced technological uh refrigeration system and as such they were eating things and had to pray that 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 there was nothing wrong with the food timothy might have been exposed to food that carried bacteria in it that's why paul said take a little wine because actually in those days they would drink wine to negate the effects of the bacteria because the little bit of alcohol they didn't have the same amount of alcohol as they had today it was far less than it was today so if you think this is just a go ahead to go and drink wine and drink alcohol and all that it's not that's not what i'm saying don't read into what i'm not saying read into what i am saying Timothy was told to take a little wine, which by the way, was just fermented grapes that they didn't, they didn't have the fermentation process that we have today, where you have 14, 15, uh, 16% wine. We're talking about very small percentage, but they took it as a way to neutralize the bacteria that might have been in food. That's the number one scripture they use. And by the way, before I move on to any of the other um, uh, scriptures that they use, you have to understand this, even... People in the Bible are not the litmus test for truth. David slept with Bathsheba. Does that give us a, 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 a does that give us the ability or does that give us the approval from heaven to go out and commit adultery? Absolutely not. The Bible, the specialty or the special thing about the Bible, the special thing about this book is that God never left out man's shortcomings. So the second thing that they use the second scripture is Elisha was in his last sickness unto death. And they say, well, Elisha didn't get healed. First of all, study, Elisha was over 90 years old when that scripture was written about him. He was over 90 years old when he was in his last sickness unto death. So if you're over 90 years old and, um, and you're using that scripture and you think that you have to die sick, you don't have to die sick. Nobody, the Bible never shows you that the way you leave this earth is by dying through sickness. You can leave just by having your spirit leave you. Smith Wigglesworth had that story, 89 years old. He was going to prepare to preach, had no sickness, no disease, no sign of pain in his body. He goes to prepare to preach. He's in the green room. He puts his head down for a second and he just passed on and he went to heaven. Lester Shomo was the same thing. Kenneth Hagin was the same way. He literally was around his family. He said, at what time did, our, did your mother pass away last year? It was about this time on this day. Well, 
Praise the Lord. I want you to know I feel the best I've ever felt. He went to take a nap and never woke up. These men did not die sick. These men died according to what the scripture says, that God takes away their spirit and they return to the dust. That's, that's the prescription for every child of God. You don't have to die of cancer. You don't have to die of diabetes. You don't have to die of high blood pressure or cardiac arrest. You don't have to die of any of those things. You can literally just slip on into eternity. By faith, Enoch was not. He was taken. So what says that we, what in the scripture does it give us in evidence that we have to go based on on uh, having the devil's help you know the sickness and we're going to get into that is the foul offspring of its father satan and its mother's sin satan is the author of sickness and disease why should we as children of god need the devil's help to slip on into eternity we don't have to be like that if maybe you've seen that happen to others it doesn't have to be your story so the number one scripture they use is paul telling timothy to take a little wine for his stomach the number two story is elisha dying in his last sickness unto death and as i said before just because the devil, uh, just because the Bible records the story going in such such a way, does not mean it commends it being that way. Judas betrayed Jesus. He went. He could have repented. He didn't. He hung himself, and the Bible says he went headlong, and his entrails gushed out into the open area. Does that mean that God commends suicide? Absolutely not. It just shows you the story of Judas. Just because the Bible notes that certain men made certain decisions, even though they were holy men, just like David, he made a census. He called for a census. It picked God off. God said, don't trust in men. Don't trust in horses. Trust in me, and I'll give you victory every step of the way. David went on to, to, to call for a census, which showed his distrust in God. God sent uh, problems his way for three whole days. David prayed. The plague was annulled. Does that show you that, th does that mean that we are to, to, to not trust God in certain times and we should really, you know, count our money and hope that we have it? No, it shows that the Bible records people's downfalls it records people's shortcomings it does not commend their shortcomings it simply records them and then the third scripture that people use is that paul left trophimus sick at miletus they use that all the time in book of acts it says paul left a disciple named trophimus sick at miletus this that I mean, it's funny how people will zone in on one scripture. They'll literally zone in on one little tiny note in scripture, like the, uh, a, a part of an entire scripture. And they'll zone in and build an entire doctrine on that. When the whole Bible, you can see, and I'm going to get into the healings of the Old Testament, healings in the Gospels, healing in the book of Acts, healings in the epistles. You can see the overwhelming overwhelming evidence for divine healing throughout the entire bible but they'll zone in on tiny little notes tiny little uh subsections of scripture and build their entire doctrine off that a very big error a very mi big mistake to do you do that you're going to get into much you know if you don't believe in divine healing that's fine you'll still make heaven but you start using that uh hermeneutical law you start using that method of interpretation for scripture you're going to get into very dangerous doctrine and into very serious problems as a result destructive heresies and maybe even one day deny the lord you know there was a guy they used to call him um i forget his name anyways he 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 believed at first that we are the temple of the holy ghost which is what scripture says 
And then he moved on. He got into such, he got into like tiny scriptures, started to reinterpret them for themselves. He started to believe that because Christ is in me, I'm Christ. And now as a result, I'm God. I am Jesus. I am here on the earth. I am the Messiah. He started to call himself the Messiah. He lost his marbles and he finished very poorly. Very, very wrong. I don't, he's not, if he didn't recant that position before he died, he's, he's pro, most likely not in heaven. Started off well. Got into weird doctrine because of tiny little uh, subsections of certain scriptures. And then because, you know, you have to take this law when you're evaluating scripture, when you're interpreting scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. I want you to write that out in the comment section. Scripture interprets scripture. So if you find one little tiny scripture that gives uh, or alludes to a certain thought, but you don't find it anywhere else in the Bible, just drop it. Don't think of it. Don't even, don't even go that way. Stick with the theme and the thematics of scripture. Stick with the overarching theme of scripture. Stick with something that you can find in Genesis through Revelation, not just something you pick and chose in one little subsection of scripture, and now you're building your entire basis for living on. Not wise. And so, as I've said before, we have to think the thoughts of God concerning divine healing. How do we get the thoughts of God from his holy scriptures? The Bible says, as the heavens are higher than, our, than, than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And my ways higher than your ways, God said. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says that we did not receive the spirit of the world to know the thoughts of this world, but we have received the Spirit from God that we might know the thoughts of God concerning any single matter or issue. So we have access to the thoughts of God. We can know the ways of God. We don't have to be in the dark. Jesus said, now I'm going to plainly talk to you. And he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, the Spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you things to come. He'll declare everything plainly. He'll show you my covenant. If the Bible says in Psalm 25, um, the fear of the Lord, the, uh, the secret of the Lord is for them that fear God and he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord is for those that fear him and God will show them or reveal his covenant to them. God desires to reveal his covenant of healing to you so that you can take on the full benefits of that covenant. Remember Psalm 103, David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. God has benefits for service to his will. When you serve God, there is a benefit system that is tied on to your life. That you don't, just like, just because you're in this world, you don't have to live by the set systems of this world. You are a kingdom person. You ride by kingdom rules. I want you to write that in the comment section. It's a powerful declaration. Kingdom people, kingdom rules. Kingdom people, kingdom rules. I'm a kingdom man. I live by kingdom rules. Though the world goes one way, I have another way. I have, I, the Bible says there is a way that seems right unto the men, unto the men of this earth, but it leads unto death. But then there is a way of righteousness that leads to life, that leads to honor, that leads to riches. The Bible says the path of the just. There is another path for those that call on the name of the Lord. I'm not, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 2, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the laws of sin and death. The, the laws that govern 
Unredeemed people do not govern the redeemed. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the anointing on that. The laws that govern unredeemed people, which is sin and death and sickness and disease and sorrow and poverty, those laws do not govern those that are redeemed. No wonder the psalmist said, let the redeemed of the Lord say something. No wonder the Bible says, when you believe on him, you, re you receive for yourself joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's a happy thing to understand because I've been called out of this world because I've been born from above I don't have to go the way the world's going I dwell in the shelter of the most high I abide under the protective barrier of God almighty and as such I don't have to fear the pestilence the diseases the sicknesses and the viruses that the thing that the devil might unleash on this earth I can walk boldly and confidently knowing that no evil shall befall me nor shall plague come near my tent though a thousand died on my side and ten thousand on my right hand it shall not come near my tent for as for me and my house we serve the Lord and he said I'll bless your bread and your water if you serve me I'll take sickness out of your midst and the last sickness you ever had will be the last sickness you ever have from today I'm bringing you a health and a cure from today I'm lifting you up out of that sick bed and you're going to stand on the rock of divine healing in the name of Jesus Christ that's going to be your story by the end of this broadcast every ache every pain every sighing and crying that's been causing you to stay up overnight because of the symptoms and alarming symptoms that you've been feeling they are leaving your system today God told Jeremiah I am setting you this day to uproot and to pull down to overthrow and to destroy and to build and to plant the anointing gives us the ability to uproot the plantings of the devil Sickness is not a planting from God. It is a planting from the devil. And by the anointing, it is getting uprooted out of your life. I don't care if it ran from your great-grandfather to your grandfather to your father, and now it's in you, and you're worried it's going to be in your children. That thing ended the moment you said yes to Jesus. Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law. Sickness ended. I don't care how far deep it was in my family before. It ended with me. It got terminated with me. Because I'm no longer part of a normal, uh, a natural family. I've been joined into a supernatural family. My lineage is that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Passed down to me through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. My family is the family of faith. Sickness doesn't run through that family. Diabetes doesn't run through that family. High blood pressure doesn't run through that family. Pancreatic problems doesn't run through that family. Liver disease and kidney kidney problems and kidney failure doesn't run through that family no rather it's health it's strength it's vitality by the anointing of God that runs through that family and that strength's getting into you today oh take heed the Bible says in Psalm 107 verse 20 he sent his word and it healed them and delivered them from all their destruction the word of God as it's being sent forth don't think because we're geographically distanced right now that the anointing can't bypass the distance between us and get to you in that living room right now. Get to you in that work office right now. Get to you in your car while you're listening. The anointing can bypass it and the same power that was present in Jesus' day to heal the sick and to deliver those that were delivered unto death is available and, and ready on standby here today. That if you'll by faith say, Lord, don't pass over me today. I receive just the same way I received you as Savior from sin. I receive you today as Savior from sickness and disease. 
And I'm breaking free from sickness in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Set yourself to receive healing today as I'm speaking. I'm going to go through certain points. Any one of these points alone has more than enough power, spiritual dynamite, to, to blast off every trace and symptom of sickness or illness in your body right now. Any point, I mean, any scripture believed on, the Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Any scripture that you believe and act on, no matter how simple of a scripture it might be, has more than enough dynamite to blast the devil off your body today. So don't sit just to hear a nice message today. Say, Lord, I'm receiving as he speaks. Just like Ezekiel, the spirit entered me as he spoke unto me and he set me on my feet. As he speaks to me today, the spirit, the quickening spirit of God, which Romans 8, 11 says, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead liveth and abideth in you, he shall quicken your mortal body. Doesn't say he's going to quicken your immortal body. That's not for heaven. Healing's not for heaven. Healing's not for heaven. Healing's not for eternity. You won't need healing. You'll have an incorruptible body. You shall be as Christ is. The Bible says we shall see him and be like him as he is the bible says that in a moment in the twinkling of an eye this this mortality will put on immortality we don't need healing in heaven we won't need physical health in heaven we'll have it all we will be like christ in heaven the bible says that we'll have bodies just like jesus has in heaven so the promise for healing is not for the afterlife it's not oh when you die how many of you know healing might be in the next life it's not that's when we'll be raised from the dead if we die, if, if the rapture doesn't happen. We'll be raised from the dead and then we'll receive immortal bodies, incorruptible bodies. That's not healing, that's resurrection. The, when we die, we're not waiting for healing, we're waiting for a resurrection. Healing is the children's bread here on this earth. And so as I send this word, open up your heart to receive the word of healing today. And expect to be healed. Healing the sick. Does God still heal today? Number one, before I move on to anything else, the number one thing I want to cover is does God want to heal me? I want you to turn to 3 John verse 2. 3 John verse 2. This is what the Bible says. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. And be in good health. If you're just joining me now, you'd be a great service, be of great service to me and to others that will watch this broadcast. If you would share the broadcast, like and comment on YouTube, it helps with the algorithms. And, and you'll, you'll be a great help to me. Third John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you would prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I pray that you would prosper. In all things. Another translation says that above all things you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So John the apostle who by the way leaned on Jesus' bosom who was the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see that in the gospel of John. He was like one of Jesus' favorites. He was part of the inner three. He wasn't he wasn't just like an outer disciple. He was part of the inner circle of Jesus who knew the heartbeat of Jesus. That John said, I pray 
And I would, inspired by the Holy Ghost, by the way. Remember, we said no prophecy of Scripture came by, my, by man's will or by man's um, interpretation. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit moved on John to express what God and heaven's will is for us. I pray that above all things, above anything else, that you would prosper financially and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So John was saying, God sees it. People always say, you know, healing, healing of the physical body is not that important. What's really important is that you get saved and make heaven. Just because something is of utmost importance doesn't mean the other things are not important to God. Just because God desires you, of course, number one, for you to get sin out of your life and get saved does not mean that healing you is of little importance to him. It's not the cherry on the top. The Bible says, even as your soul prospers, so God's will is just as much as he wants you to be saved and make heaven, he desires you to be well and walk in health here on this earth. And people always say, well, that's that health and wealth gospel. I didn't say it. John said it. I pray that you would prosper in all things and be in good health. That's not, that's not some minister in 1970s uh, coming up and writing this new doctrine based on... No, that's the word of God. And we see it in Psalm 105 verse 37. The Old Testament in Exodus, God brought the Israelites out of Egypt with silver and gold. There it is with God prospering his children. And there was none sick or feeble amongst all their tribe. There wasn't anybody that was sick in all of the three million Israelites that came out of Egypt for 40 years. Not one of them fell sick. Not one of them. And you know, we're not talking about they were in a nice, comfortable climate. And as such, you know, there wasn't really any reason for any of them to get a flu or have a flu pass on. No, they were in cold nights. Because the desert is cold at night. They were in cold nights and then heat in the day. That's abrupt changes of climate. That's intense cold to intense heat, which that's not good. And uh, if you're talking about abstaining or staying away or refraining from getting sick, you don't want to expose your body to abrupt cold and then abrupt heat. That's what the Israelites went through. They didn't go through nice, clean conditions. They were in harsh, harsh climatic uh, conditions. They were going through deserts that were full of wild beasts, strong animals. At any time, one of them could have been overpowered. But the Bible says there was none weak or none sick or feeble amongst all their tribes. If God did that for Old Testament Israel, if God did that for his people in bringing them out of the land of Egypt, which served as a type and a shadow of what Christ would ultimately come to accomplish for us at the cross when he brought us not out of a physical Egypt, but spiritual Egypt, ref referring to sin, how much more will, will God keep his body that's alive on the earth today, his children, those that call on his name, supernaturally healthy, strong, and vital. If God did it for them under an old covenant, which the Bible says we have a better covenant based and established on better promises, and I'm not uh, like some vocabulary specialist, but I'm pretty sure the word better means at least what it was or a little bit more. So if something's better, it's actually it's not even at least what it was. It has to be slightly more. But it has to be something more. 
So if it's a better covenant, then it's at least the covenant that God made with Israel in those days and some. And some. Exodus 15, 26. What was the covenant God made with Israel in those days? What was the reason why that they were supernaturally strong in the wilderness? That there was none feeble? Doesn't even say there was none. Doesn't just say there was none sick. It says there wasn't even any weak. There wasn't even any weak. See, God's covenant of health doesn't just not permit sickness to access your body. It doesn't permit weakness to take hold of your body. That's why Paul could boldly say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's not just getting by throughout the week. That's not just dragging your feet through life. That is supernatural strength. Like the hand of the Lord that came upon Elijah that enabled him to outrun the chariots of Ahab. The hand of the Lord referred to the spirit of God coming on people just like the hand of the lord came on samson and with the jawbone of a donkey he was able to kill a thousand philistines that same strengthening spirit is alive and well in me not only am i not permitted to get sick i have an overflow of health and strength to do supernatural things by the anointing of god hallelujah praise the lord that anointing is here for you today some of you aren't even sick but you're feeble you're weak in the, in, in the way that you have a hard time getting up out of bed in the morning. Or you get out of breath quickly. Or it's hard for you to do belaboring or uh, uh, strength demanding tasks. You get out of breath quickly. You, you have to sit down after just doing 15 to 20 minutes of work. You see other people in your workplace. They have like this over overdrive of strength that's causing them to work long hours and then you it's like you work three hours and you're mentally burnt physically burnt that's not God's package for you God's package for you is to what the what the heathen does you're to do double what the heathen does you're to do triple there's a package of strength available for you today that what the heathen does by their own strength, by the anointing of God. That's why the scripture says that we're to redeem the times in these last days for the days are evil. What does redeeming the times mean? Redeeming the times mean doing twice as much work or three times as much work as what other people are doing. You're literally having the plowman over, override the, the, the sower of seed. Doing more work that causes you to be an astonishment to the people around you. So Exodus 15, 26, what was the source of that lack of feebleness and lack of weakness and lack of sickness, not lack of, zero evidence of it throughout 40 years of their sojourning through the wilderness? What was the source of it? Exodus 15, 26, they were at the waters of Meribah, the waters that were bitter. And the scripture says, God made a statute that day that if you will diligently adhere to all that I've commanded you and, do all, and observe to do all my statutes, that I, the Lord, will be your healer. That's when the covenant name Jehovah Rapha was sealed for the people of Israel. That if they kept their eyes on him to obey him, God said, I'll not permit any of the diseases that came on the Egyptians to ever come on you. Because you're a covenant person, you, rule, you, you run and you walk by covenant rules. So if God wanted to heal and keep Israel healed under the old covenant, does God want us healthy and whole today absolutely absolutely the the man jesus illustrated this when the man that had leprosy came to him and said lord if you are willing you can make me clean did jesus say no i actually have another way for you um i know that you saw me heal others but not you not you and you'll understand shortly why i'm telling you no 
Because if you hadn't had that leprosy, there's someone in that leprosy um, convent or that leprosy, uh, they would have, they had leprosy colonies that they would they would move these people out to. And there's someone in that leprosy colony that unless you, unless, unless you stick with this leprosy, they'll never hear the gospel from your mouth. And they, you know, people come up, if, if I hadn't been sick, I would have never have ministered to that nurse. Why is it that you have to wait till you're sick to minister to a nurse when you have every ability, maybe now in COVID, uh, it, it, it's harder to get into hospitals. But, you know, people were saying this before COVID. Well, if I hadn't been sick, I would have never ministered to that nurse. I would have never, I would have never ministered to that guy. Now, why do you have to wait to get sick to start evangelizing? Why not? You, you know, there's nothing stopping. There's no law barring you from entering into a hospital and ministering to the nurses there, ministering to the sick there without you being sick. It, the hospital doesn't say, unless you're sick, you have no access to the hospital. You can go in while you're healthy and pull the people that are sick out. What a better testimony it is to the nurses and the doctors that when they've done everything to help the people, you all of a sudden show up and by the anointing of God, by the Spirit of the Lord, minister healing and healing virtue to those people so that they end up leaving the places and now there's a revival that breaks out in the hospital and they're scratching their heads the doctors who were formerly atheists now saying I have to concede on my atheist beliefs and I have to accept and solemnly testify that this gospel must be true what's stopping people from doing that why do you have to wait I can't stand that excuse that's like the sorriest excuse I've ever heard well if I hadn't been sick I there was a minister that came up to Teal Osborne and said, it seems to me, every time I minister healing to the people, either myself, either my child, or my wife gets sick. And I think that it's God trying to teach us something. And trying to refine us, to keep on, uh, keep on uh, embedding that compassion in our hearts towards the sick. I think that he's, he's doing this. He's allowing this so that we can stay in compassion and that compassion ministry and ministering to the sick. You know what Teal Osborne said? Okay, by that logic, maybe you should prove yourself faithful to sin so that you can be more compassionate towards sinners. See, the difference, Teal Osborne proceeded to say, between you and me, because Teal Osborne ministered to the sick, but he was supernaturally healthy. He didn't, he, he didn't, he didn't uh, live a life of, of perpetual sickness and weakness and infirmity. Teal Osborne said, this difference between you and me is that you believe you have to carry the sicknesses and the pains of the people in order for you to be effective in ministering healing virtue to them, whereas I believe Jesus carried my sickness, he carried my sickness and their sickness, he bore our pains and their pains on that cross. He's the substitute, not me. And I just tell the people that, and that's why I stay healthy, and I see people get healthy in our meetings. And the guy left dumbfounded and his mouth open because, it, 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 you know, it's such a foolish way to believe, and the devil wants you to get, the, get you to think those thoughts concerning yourself. Well, if I don't get sick, how can I minister to the sick? Okay, let's use that on sin. If you don't, if you don't become a prostitute, then you can't minister to prostitutes. If you don't become a tax-collecting heathen, then you can't minister to tax collectors. If you don't indulge in pornography, how are you going to reach pornographers and the porno people bound by pornography? What a foolish way of thinking. What a, 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 a butchering of truth. Did Jesus sin to relate to sinners no he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin 
And he was the most, he sat with tax collectors and sinners and they heard him gladly. And they were coming in in multitudes to repent and turn from their sin as they heard him speak. Remember this, you're not the substitute. He's the substitute. You're not the mediator. He's the mediator. Jesus turned to that man that was full of leprosy. Didn't give him that sorry excuse. He said, I will be thou made whole. Before he healed the leper, he had to correct his poor theology. He said, I will. I will that you be healed. And he touched him and said, be thou made well. And he was healed. And the, guy was, uh, the guy's flesh reformed. Any limbs or fingers or pieces of his, because leprosy, it would have pieces of your ear, pieces of your nose just fall off at random. All of those supernaturally got restored to him as Jesus healed him. So what Jesus told that leper, I will be made whole, he's telling you today. If you have any doubt concerning God's willingness to heal you, you're in doubt, and I said it at the beginning of the broadcast, if a man doubts, he should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Doubt is the thief of God's rich blessings that he's made available to you. The Bible says you're a, a sea, like the waves of a sea tossed to and fro. You're up and down, you're unstable. A double-minded man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So settle it. And I have found in preaching over the last five years, I've only been preaching for five years, but I found in preaching the moment people see from the scriptures that it is indeed God's will to heal them and without fail, heal all. The moment that happens, nine times out of 10, I would say the people receive immediate healing and then the other one out of 10, it's like a couple of weeks later they finally get it and, 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 and they get healed. So the devil will fight you on this more than any other thing to keep you sick. Because if he can keep you sick, he drains you from the energy necessary to fulfill God's will in your life. And remember this. You want to know if God's will is to heal you? Look at Jesus. Don't look at a preacher. Don't look at a, some other person's story. Don't look at someone's tragedy. Don't look at, look at Jesus. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the exact representation of the nature and will of God. Was Jesus going around making healthy people sick? Finding some kids running around having fun and then saying, here, take some cancer. And he laid hands on them and all of a sudden they were cancer ridden and bed ridden. And they spent the rest of their days, they died an early death and it was an awful story. But you know what? God had a plan for that person. No, the Bible says he went about anointed of the Holy Ghost and power, healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with them. For God was with him. If sickness was the will of God, Jesus spent his entire ministry undoing the will of the Father. If sickness was the will of God, Jesus was in direct opposition, opposition to the will of the Father. If sickness was the will of God, then Jesus was working against the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, by his own mouth, said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So if sickness was the will of God, God's kingdom was working against its own kingdom and it's doomed for failure and doomed to destruction because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. 
Jesus said, if Satan's fighting against Satan, how can his kingdom stand? It's going to fall. If Jesus is fighting his father's will, which we know that's not true, because he said in John that I have not come to do my own will. I've come to do the will of who? The will of him who sent me. Uh, the Bible says, Philip, ask Jesus, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Show us what good lo God looks like. Show us God's will and it'll be sufficient for us. Jesus, we want to know the Father. We've heard about the God of Judaism. We've heard about the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that you're his son, but show us the Father. Do you know what Jesus said? Philip, have I not been with you long enough and still you don't know the Father? He that has seen me has seen the Father. What you see me do is what he he does jesus said i do nothing on my own initiative only what i see the father doing that i do in like manner only what i see the father doing jesus did not just do things because he felt like it he did it in accordance he lined up his life and his actions to the will of the father and his actions were what his actions were very very clear he healed all that came to him of any sickness. The Bible says in Matthew 4, they brought to him all that were sick and afflicted with various diseases and ailments, those that were demon-possessed, paralytics and epileptics, and he healed them all. He, he never, if you can find me one scripture where Jesus looked to a man or a woman and said, I actually am not going to heal you, and he proceeded not to heal them, then I will totally put out an apology broadcast and say I was wrong. But I've read through the Gospels hundreds of times and I have never, never seen it because it's not there. It's not there. It's not that I've it skipped my attention. It's not because it must have eluded um, me. No, it's because it's not there. Jesus always healed. I want to show you examples of healing in the old testament exodus 15 26 so we know that god still wants to heal today based on what jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forevermore i am the lord your god malachi 3 6 and i change not so god is unchanging so if god's unchanging let's find out how god has been throughout the scriptures how was god in the old testament when he dealt with sickness and disease how did god in the old testament deal with sickness and disease Exodus 15, 26, I quoted it. The Bible says, the waters of Meribah, he made a covenant with Israel, if you'll follow me and diligently adhere to all my statutes, I will not allow any of the diseases that I've put on the Egyptians to be laid on you, for I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Example number one. Example number two, Exodus 23, 25, if you'll, if you'll serve me, I'll bless your bread and your water. I'll take sickness out of the midst of you. Jesus did it. Uh, God did not say there that I'll heal you when you get sick. He actually went a step further. I'll take sickness out of your midst forever you will come into a realm of and a category of people who don't even get sick you can actually get to the point where you do not even get sick by the anointing of god you're supernaturally healthy example number three deuteronomy 28 sickness is listed as a curse of the law not a blessing so god in the old testament designated sickness as a curse he designated it as a as a, as a reward for disobedience. He did not say it's a reward for obedience. And remember Hebrews eleven six says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God does not reward those who diligently seek him with sickness. He re, he, the Bible says the consequence of sin in Deuteronomy 28, it's not even God's going to make you sick. It's just the natural consequence. What sin attracts by itself? 
If I was standing outside and it was pouring rain, I didn't have to ask God to make me wet. The fact that I'm outside without an umbrella, I'm getting wet. If I went inside, the, 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 the wetness would cease. The rain would, would, would not be able to touch me and affect me. When you stand outside of the covenant and the umbrella of God, you're going to succumb and be a victim of the atrocities of sin. And one of the atrocities of sin is sickness and disease. Romans chapter 5, 12 says, And through one man's disobedience, sin entered the human race, and death spread to all men through sin. The Bible says, death spread to all men, for all men had sinned. And death is the final will of sickness. Death is the objective of sickness. And that death came as a result. There was no sickness in Eden. There's the, there will be no sickness in heaven. Because there is no sin in Eden, and there, was, there will be no sin in heaven. So sickness is the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother, sin. I'm not saying that... If you have sickness in your body today, right now, it's because you have to locate something you're doing wrong. And, and you, maybe it is. I'm not saying it isn't. Some people are living lives totally cut off from holiness. They do not live holy lives. And they expect to receive God's blessing. That doesn't work that way. If you stay outside of the covenant terms, you know, just like when you install a program on your computer, before you click install, you have to check the box that says, I agree to the terms and conditions. Before you can install healing into your body, you have to agree to the terms and conditions of the covenant, which is to live a holy life. If you stand outside, God doesn't have to make you sick. Sin by itself will attract sickness. David said in Psalm 32, when I kept quiet about my sin, my body's strength was drained. And I, the Bible says, your hand was heavy upon me. My body's strength was drained as the summer heat. The Bible says in Psalm 107, fools because of their sin were afflicted with sickness and their soul drew, drew near to the gates of death. Fools, because of their sin, were afflicted and their souls drew near to the gates of death. So sin by itself is like a magnet for sickness. That's why I always say, cut sin out of your life before sin cuts you out of life. Before sin cuts you out of life. But Deuteronomy 28 says, sickness is a result of the curse. God doesn't bring the curse on you by itself, the Sin itself is going to carry the curse of sickness and disease. Num Numbers 21, God healed Israel of a plague when they looked to the brazen serpent. Psalm 105, 37, I said it, God brought them out with silver and gold and there was none feeble or weak amongst all their tribe. So healing was evident throughout the Old Testament, throughout the exodus of Israel. In Hezekiah's day, he was sick unto death and he prayed to God. God extended his life by 15 years. So you can see God healed in the Old Testament. The Bible talks about Elijah going to that woman's house whose son had died. Not only did God raise the son from the dead, but God healed the son's body and brought him back his strength. Jeremiah 33, 6 says, He brought us health and a cure, and he revealed unto us the abundance of truth and peace. God brings health and a cure. That's Old Testament scriptures. Malachi chapter 4 says, The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. So in the Old Testament, we can see Jehovah Rapha proved true from Genesis to Malachi. Well, what about in the Gospels? From Matthew to John. Matthew to John. Let me show you. I wrote down 12 universal calls to healing from the Gospels. 12 
evidences of God's desire to heal all from the gospel. Number one. Number one. Actually, I have 10. Number one, Matthew 12, 15. The Bible says great multitudes followed Jesus and he healed them all. Doesn't say he healed some of them. He healed them all. Number two, Matthew chapter 14, verse 36. As many as touched Jesus were made perfectly whole. So that wasn't Jesus playing duck, duck, sick. That's as many as had faith to stretch out and touch Jesus received healing. And not just any type of healing. Not like they felt a little better. They were made perfectly whole. Luke chapter 6 and verse 19. Number 3. The whole multitude sought to touch Jesus and he healed them all. Number four, Matthew chapter eight, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says that evening they brought unto him all that were sick and demon possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick that it might be fulfilled, which was prophesied by Isaiah that he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. So that's number four. The Bible says he healed all their sick and cast out everyone, every demon out of every, every one of those that were demon possessed with his word that it might be fulfilled. What Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 53. Number five, Luke chapter four, verse 40. All that had any that were sick. I love those words. All that had any that were sick. All that had any that were sick with various diseases so if you're watching this and you're like well i've seen god heal this but i've never seen god heal what i've got doctors don't even know what i've got do you know deuteronomy 28 says that the curse of the law is sickness and the bible lists out a bunch of sicknesses tumors mildew fevers all kinds of stuff pains aches um turmoil whatever it names a bunch of sicknesses and various illnesses but then it says even those that are not listed out in this book of the law even those that medical science don't even have a name for even those things that as much as of a of of advancements that we've seen in the progression of medical science and advancements that we've seen in modern day era they still don't know what's wrong with people bible says even those things are part of the curse of the law, from which Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law. So if, if, if it's something you've seen God heal people of before, then praise God, you know that it's evidence and proof that he'll heal, heal you of that today. If it's something you've never even heard of before, you don't even have a, a case to stand on. You don't even have a testimony that you've heard that can back you up and strengthen your faith today. Be encouraged that the Bible says, That there is no sickness under heaven that the name of Jesus Christ today issued out, mentioned through lips of faith, doesn't have power to subdue that thing under your feet. Doesn't matter if the doctors have an answer for it, the name of Jesus brings the solution to any sickness or any disease. Number one, two, three, four, five. Number six. Oh, number four, all that had, number five, sorry. All that had any that were sick with various diseases, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them all. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them all. Number six, he, in Luke chapter nine and verse 11, he healed any that had need of healing. He healed any that had need of healing. He didn't see all that had need of healing and he healed some. He healed any. Pay attention to this universal invitation 
Just as the gospel is to whosoever shall believe, the Bible says he heals any that have need of healing. Number seven, Matthew 4, 23 to 25, they brought to him all sick people and he healed them all. Act, uh, number eight, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he healed all that were oppressed by the devil. Number nine, Mark chapter six, verses 53 to 56, the Bible says, and he came to the land uh, of Gennesaret, I believe it was, and when he got out of the boat, they recognized him and they began to carry about on beds those that they knew were sick to wherever they heard he was. And whether they were in the marketplace or in the village or in the city or in the country, the Bible says that as many as touched him were made well. As many as touched him. That shows you that healing is actually not on God's end. The healing power of God's here and available for all today, and it's up to you to like the woman with the issue of blood who heard about Jesus that was going about healing all that were oppressed of the devil, and she didn't sit on the sideline and say, I hope he comes my way. She said, I'm going to press through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment, for I know that if I can just touch his garment, I shall be made well. And she did. And healing virtue flowed from Jesus and healed her, and that issue of blood that had suffered her for 12 years was instantly cured. So it's not on, it's not we're waiting on God to do something about it. He's waiting on us to do something with his word. He watching, he is watching over his word, which he sent forth his word to heal. He's watching over that word of healing today that's been sent out via my mouth, waiting for one who will say, I believe I'm stretching forth by faith. I'm going to reach forward to that which Christ has purchased for me by redemption. I refuse to be denied. God cannot deny his word. I am healed. Number, number nine, as many as touched him were made well. Number 12, and I've, these are the 10 universal calls to healing from the gospel. Number 10, this is proof that Jesus desires to heal all today. Great multitudes came, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the deaf, and the multitudes marveled when they, the maimed were made whole. The lame were walking, the deaf were hearing, the blind were seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. He healed them all. Then let's go to the book of Acts. Did God continue that or did it die out with Jesus? The book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. Peter and John go to the, to the gate called Beautiful. And they see, a man at Lystra, uh, the, they see a man who's lying there, a cripple who had never walked from his mother's womb. They said, silver and gold we have not, but such as we do have, give we unto thee in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And by the use of the name of Jesus, through faith in that name, that man stood up, began to leap, to run, and praise God. So it didn't stop with Jesus. It continued on with Peter and John. Then in Acts chapter 9, Peter goes to Aeneas' house. And he's been bedridden for eight years. He had been paralyzed, got into like a chariot accident or something. And Peter steps by his bed, kneels down, prays, looks to the body and says, Jesus the Christ heals you. And Aeneas gets up and the news of that miracle spread throughout the entire land. And all those that dwelt in Sharon turned to the Lord. You want to know why revival doesn't happen? Because people haven't followed the blueprint of revival. The reason why Jesus carried revival everywhere he went wasn't because he told good sermons. It was because he 
went not only in the gospel of word, but in the gospel of power. The apostles had revival. Peter, Paul, revival everywhere they went. Because Paul said, my gospel didn't come in word only. For the kingdom of heaven is not in word only, but in power. Why is revival being withheld or restrained on the earth today in many places? It's because ministers and preachers and Christian leaders refuse to go the Bible way. We can't have revival our way we need revival God's way and when we follow the Bible blueprint we'll start to see Bible results I believe God's going to raise you up from this broadcast as you see as you have seen maybe you've been deceived maybe you were like me you thought it was Paul's thorn in your flesh but today lights are coming on and you're seeing that sickness was never the will of God it's the will of hate and it's the will of Satan and as such a holy violence has come on you that you started you're starting to hate sickness you've not just accepted it as a regular part of life but as a violation of our rights and privileges as born again redeemed children of God as the birthright of the children of God and all of a sudden now hatred towards sickness is rising up that hatred is going to compel you and stir you up to have a, mi- a healing ministry in your own circle of influence in the name of Jesus Christ the anointing to heal the sick is coming on you today in the name of Jesus and you'll see what eye has not seen what ear has not heard what has never entered the heart of man so Acts 9 Aeneas Acts 14 the Bible says a man at Lystra heard Paul preaching Obviously, Paul was not preaching this double-minded, well, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says, sometimes God says uh, maybe, or sometimes he says wait. Obviously, Paul was preaching the gospel according to Jesus Christ from the gospels, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because the man that was at Lystra that was sitting there lame and impotent from his mother's womb, a cripple, heard Paul speaking and he had faith to be healed. He didn't have faith to... uh, To be saved that day alone, he had faith to be healed. So obviously Paul's gospel included healing of the physical body. Because or else he would not have had faith to be healed. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith comes by hearing the will of God. The foundation for faith is knowledge of the scriptures. Knowledge of the will of God. You can't have faith beyond your knowledge of what God wants you to have. That's why I started this broadcast by saying it's impossible to boldly claim by faith a blessing you're not even sure God wants you to have. Obviously Paul preached God wants you to be healthy for that man to have faith rise in his heart and not have faith to be saved, not have faith to be blessed with joy in his heart, but faith to be healed. Paul seen that he had faith said stand up rise up and walk and he did acts 19 11 paul handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to those that were sick and it healed them all so it continued on in paul's ministry acts chapter 28 paul goes to malta shipwrecked and the scripture says he entered into the to the um to to publius's father-in-law's house who was a leading citizen of the island and he laid hands on him and the man was healed and then everyone that had any that were sick on the island brought them to Paul so that he can pray for them and he prayed for them and they were all healed all of them were healed the moment Paul the the, the anointed man of God entered into the island of Malta sickness cleared out 
Do you understand that the anointing in you has empowered you to clear sickness out of your home, clear sickness out of your own body, clear sickness out of your own family, clear sickness out of other people's bodies that come in faith to ask you to be prayed for? Do you understand that the anointing in you is a destructive force to sickness, that your hands are registered weapons in heaven, that Jesus said if you'll have faith to lay hands on the sick, you'll release an anointing that'll, that'll blast sickness and the presence of sickness out of the bodies of those whom you pray for Paul goes to Malta that had been ridden by sickness and in less than three verses it's been cleared out excavated of all sickness and disease so in the book of Acts it continued and then furthermore in the epistles James 5 says are any among you sick let him call for the elders of the church they still practice this healing ministry Call for the elders of the church, let them anoint them with oil, pray the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith shall raise the sick and save the sick, and if he's got any sins, it will be forgiven him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and verse 20 says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are to glorify God in your spirit and your body, which are God's. Clear, uh, sickness does not glorify God in your body. Sickness glorifies the devil. It's a trophy for the devil. Anytime Jesus healed the sick, that's when God got the glory. And Jesus went to that woman that was bent over double in the synagogue, healed her, loosed her from that infirmity. And the Bible says they were astonished and gave glory. They magnified the God of Israel. In another time, Jesus put his hands into a, a, a deaf man's ears and he dipped his finger in his tongue and put it on his tongue. And the mute man and the deaf man both spoke and saw. Uh, both spoke and heard and the scripture says that the people that saw that happen glorified God saying we've never seen anything like this not even in all the history of Israel so sickness is a trophy of the devil whereas healing is a trophy and testimony to God's goodness and his power so we can see God willed to heal in the Old Testament God willed, willed to heal in the Gospels God willed to heal and will to heal in the book of Acts. And remember the book of Acts never has an abrupt ending. It's a continued book. They're probably writing the rest of it in, in heaven. And then God wills and has willed throughout history in the epistles. Another way we can know God wills to heal you today is God's covenant name of Jehovah Rapha. If God called himself Jehovah Tzikednu and we can trust that he's the God who makes us righteous and we don't doubt that he, his ability and desire to make us righteous, to forgive us our sins, then why should we doubt him as Jehovah Rapha, his ability and his unchangeableness, by the way. He's not the God who was, he's the God who is and he's the God who is to come. To say that God no longer heals the sick is to change God's I am to his I was. To say that God no longer desires to heal the sick is to change his I am to, his, to an I was. But he's not the I was, he's the I am that I am. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so, just like we know he's still saving sinners, we can know he's still healing the sick. Remember this, and this goes on to my second point. Actually, before I get there, let me go through what the origin of sickness is. The origin of sickness. I alluded to it before, but let me just give you scriptures that prove it. Sickness is the foul offspring of its father Satan and its mother sin. Sickness is the, the author of sickness is Satan, the devil, demons. How do we know that? Well, one third out of every sickness Jesus healed had a spiritual root to it. It was a devil that he had to deal with. I wrote down over here on my, in my notes, I wrote down, uh, seven examples of Jesus casting out a demon 
and then a man being healed as a result of it. Number one, Matthew 4.24. So one third, understand this, one third of the healing miracles Jesus did, Jesus had to cast a demon out, a spirit out, an evil spirit out, before the healing could take place. Number one example of that is in Matthew 4.24. The Bible says that there were demon-possessed who were epileptics and paralytics. Today, we would say... Um, I'm not saying all epilepsy is demon possession. I'm not saying all paralytics are demon possessed. But I'm saying there are those that are epileptics. Mark chapter 9 shows this. An epileptic boy was brought to Jesus. Jesus said it was a deaf and dumb spirit that had to be cast out. And when the deaf and dumb spirit got cast out, the boy was restored to his father. And so I'm not saying that all paralytics or all epileptics are demon possessed, but I'm saying that there could be a demon at the root of that thing and not necessarily demon possessed. The Bible calls it a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of sickness, a spirit of weakness, a demon that's at the root. That's why cancer, you can't even locate the root of cancer. They, 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 doctors have said it has a life form to it. There's a life to cancer. It grows. It multiplies. It has a life for itself. It seeks to thrive and survive in your body and to kill. So as a result, we can see that even from medical science. Proving that cancer has its own life form. What do you think that is? That's a devil of infirmity. That's a spirit of infirmity. That seeks to destroy the body of, of people created in the image of God. Matthew 4.24 says, Demon possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. Number two, nine, Matthew chapter 9, verse 32 and 34. The Bible says there was a mute man, demon possessed, that was brought to Jesus. And when the, the, the spirit was cast out, the mute man spoke. So his muteness was not... It was a result of some physiological condition. It was a result of a spiritual condition that once the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. Number three, Matthew chapter 12, 22 to 23. There was a man demon possessed, blind and mute. When the spirit was cast out, the man both saw and spoke. Number four, Matthew 9, 14 to 29. There was a, uh, sorry, Mark 9, 14 to 29. That boy that was brought to Jesus that was epileptic, that oftentimes would go into a seizure when the deaf and dumb spirit was cast out, the, man was, the boy was brought back to his father, perfectly whole and restored. Number five, Matthew chapter eight, Jesus goes into Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, sees her there lying sick with a fever, and he rebuked the fever. Well, you don't rebuke things, you don't rebuke objects, you rebuke personalities. There was a spirit that was at the root of that fever. A spirit was keeping her down. And if Jesus not rebuked that spirit, the fever would have remained. Number six, Matthew 15, 22, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. And when Jesus cast the spirit out, the Bible says the daughter was healed from that very same hour. So the healing came as a result of Jesus dealing with a spiritual force that was at work in that little girl's body. And number seven, Luke 13, 10 through 18, the Bible says Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and there was a woman there who was bent over double, possessed with a spirit of infirmity, and Jesus called her to himself and said, you foul spirit of infirmity, come out of her. And he loosed her from that spirit of infirmity. And the scripture says she was made straight and the people glorified God. So, you know, people would say, they see someone that has, they're bent over. They would say it's arthritis. They would say it's some sort of rheumatism. You see an epileptic, they would, you know, although you call it a spirit or anything that's, demonic and they'll automatically say that you're you're primitive you know you're you're a very primitive person oh no we've moved on modern science we understand exactly what why epilepsy is caused okay maybe you can come up with the uh 
with an x-ray or something, showing something in the brain that's causing it. But the reason why epilepsy is not curable in human standards or by human methods and efforts is because it, there's a spiritual root to it. And so, was Jesus primitive by addressing epilepsy as a demon spirit? Was Jesus primitive because he called a mute, he, he, he referred to a mute man and a blind man as being demon-possessed? Was Jesus being primitive? Was he like, oh, Jesus, you know, I wish you hadn't said those things because 2,000 years later we'd understand there's actually a physical way to explain all these things. No. He's the Son of God. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He's the all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-knowledgeable God. He is the omniscient one. He knew, he knew the future better than we knew the past even in those days. And still, He wasn't primitive. He was addressing the situation for what it really was. An evil spirit. I'm not saying all sicknesses are the result of a spirit that needs to be cast out. But I am saying all sickness is an oppression of the devil in the sense that it came... It's there because of Satan. It's not there because of God. It's not there because of old age. It's there because of Satan. Job, the Bible says, Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with boils. God did not strike Job with boils. It was Satan that struck Job with boils. The Bible says in um, Acts 10.38, Jesus healed all that were oppressed by who? By the devil. Jesus did the healing. Satan did the oppressing. Jesus does the healing. Satan does the oppressing. You have to understand that. God doesn't break you down so he can build you up. Satan does the breaking. Jesus does the building. God doesn't destroy. God delivers. Satan has one will. To steal, kill, and to destroy. Jesus has one will. To give you life and life more abundantly. God doesn't make you sick. Satan makes sick. Jesus makes whole. Jesus makes well. Satan brings chains. Jesus brings freedom. Satan brings sorrow. Jesus brings joy. I mean, it's very simple. I'm making it overly simple on purpose so that you can get rid of all those theological traditions that have been built up into you that's keeping you and hindering the flow of healing into your body so you can break free from the horrors of disease and illness that's plagued you for far too long. It's very simple. God is a good God. Satan is a bad devil. God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. If it's good, it's God. I want to read something to you that's going to really simplify or illustrate what I'm trying to say from the Gospels. Matthew chapter 12. I read this yesterday and it struck me right in my spirit. This is what Jesus, how Jesus explained it. Now when Jesus had departed from there, he went into their synagogue and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand and they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might have something to accuse him with? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Really, they were asking, is it always God's will to heal or there are days that God doesn't want to heal? Is God always in the healing business or are there days where God sees fit to do something else? 
And he said, Jesus replied to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of the sheep and lift it out. Jesus refers to sickness as a ditch that people fall into. Not as a redemptive package that God gives to people that are walking in line with his will. Jesus referred to sickness as a pit, as a ditch, as a stumbling block, as something devil, the devil digs up for people to fall into and to be trapped by. Not as a benefit of serving God, not as a blessing from heaven, as a demonic attack and assault on the bodies of people created in the image of God. Do you ever wonder why Satan is so intent on plaguing your body with sickness? Why does he hate your body? Why doesn't he just leave your body alone? Why doesn't he just focus on making your soul miserable, on your emotions, and just stripping you of joy and of, 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 of peace and of, of serenity? Why does he attack your body? Because you're created in God's image. He hates God. He can't touch God. He can't hit God. He has no access to God. So the second best thing, the, what he'll settle for is going after people that, first of all, God loves most. And secondly, people created in the image of God. You look like God to Satan. So since he can never afflict God with any of these things, he seeks to afflict men. And the Bible says there's those whom he can devour and there's those that, the, that Satan has no ability to devour. So you'll either be one that believes that sometimes, you know, sickness just comes, a regular part of life. Sometimes we grow old and things don't work as well as they used to. How many of you know it's just a part of life? We can't expect a life free from... You start talking like that, you know what you're doing? You're setting up the devil's work in your own life. The Bible says a man is snared by the words of his mouth. You are snaring your life with sickness by the words that you speak, by your own confession. By your words you are justified or by your words you will be condemned. You're condemning your life to a life of sickness if you talk like that. And you're setting yourself up as an, with, as an open, literally with an open gate as one the devil can come in and out and do whatever he wants. That's why it's important to keep your mouth in line with the word of God. My portion's not sickness. My portion is health. I, I have a covenant right because of my position in redemption to have not only access to health, I have a constant flow of health running through my body. I abide in Jesus. He abides in me. I was the diseased branch. I've plugged into Jesus. Now the life of the vine, the life, the DNA, the very nature of God flows into me and terminates any sign or signal of sickness and disease. And as such, I walk in health. I walk in vitality. I'm not destined to a life of illness i'm not destined to a life of plagues or of plagues of long continuance or of per, uh, perpetual sickness or chronic illness i'm destined to blessing honor glory and power the bible says goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life Jesus says that sickness is a pit that people fall into. And then he goes on to say, of how much more value are you, are, is a man than a sheep? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus said healing is good. They asked him, can you heal on the Sabbath? Jesus said it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You know what that also shows you? There's no right 
or there's no wrong time to be healed. There is no wrong time to be healed. There's none of this junk of in his timing. There is no in his timing. You know when God's timing was? And that leads me to my third point. So number one point was God desires you to be well. It's his will as lined up from scripture. Number two is what is the origin of sickness and disease? We talked about that. We established it. The, the devil is the author of sickness and disease. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil, which part of it is sickness and disease. Number three, divine health is your birthright as a covenant child of God. We just said right here, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There's no wrong time to be healed because... We're not waiting on God for healing. He's waiting on us. What do I be, mean by that? Isaiah 53. Jesus at the cross, or before the cross rather, he bore in his body sickness and he carried our pains. And by his stripes we were healed. Then when he went to the cross, he was pierced through for our transgressions. That's when our sin was dealt with. But before he went to the wooden tree, he made a pit stop at the whipping post. And he took whips on his back. Not for nothing. He didn't do that just to waste time. He didn't just do that so that he could, um, you know. He, he didn't do it for no reason. He did it. Because it was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that he'd bear our sickness, carry our pains, and by his stripes, we would receive healing. And not spiritual healing. We didn't need spiritual healing. We needed spiritual resurrection. Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins, but in Christ we are made alive together with him. We didn't need spiritual healing. There's a difference between healing and resurrection. Lazarus didn't need healing. He needed to be resurrected. You, and then after healed. After that, he needed to be healed of his, in his physical body. You didn't need to be spiritually healed. You needed to be spiritually raised back to life. The Bible says that as in baptism, we are conformed to death with Christ, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even now we are raised to life, to live in newness of life. That's talking about salvation. That's talking about our redemption from sin. But in the same atoning work of the cross, the same blood that was shed to forgive you of sin, when he was being whipped on his back, the blood shed from the whips of his back are more than enough to, to, to pay the price for our physical healing. By his stripes you are healed. Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, Peter was looking back to what he had witnessed several years before, and he said his own body, he bore our sins in his, uh, on that tree that we being dead to sin might live to righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. Past tense. Looking back to the cross. So we're not looking to some future event that God's going to one day heal us. There's people that come up to me all the time. I have a word from God that one day he's going to heal me. You don't, you don't have a word from God. That's not a word from God. It's actually, it's, there's nothing that can back it up from scripture. You don't have a word from God that one day you're going to be healed. Quit looking to the future. You know what the book, the, the epistles are of Paul and Peter and John? They're not, Paul did not write his epistles to show you that what you have to look forward to. There's not, actually, there's not one scripture in the epistles that says you should believe God to be healed. You're not going to find it. The epistles, and especially the Pauline epistles, were written in such a way that they, they mimic a legal document. They're like legal documents. That just like when you read, when someone dies in your family and they read the testament, the last will. It's not up for negotiation. 
It's not, you know, one day you're going to receive these things when you die. No, it's now that this person has died, these are the things that belong to you. These are the things that belong to that person. These are the things that belong to that person. The epistles were written as a testament, as a, a legal document that show us what already belonged to us. The devil wants to blind you to the fact that healing is yours already. He wants you to get, get, he, get you to push off healing to some futuristic event that when we die, ultimately that's when the healing... No, death is not my savior. Jesus was my savior. And the moment he said it was finished, that meant the end of sickness and disease in my life. Because the Bible says, we now have received the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead. And as such, he quickens our mortal body he quickens it the moment you receive the spirit of God you receive the quickening spirit the quickening power of God that when you believe God's word concerning healing the spirit goes to work in your body to quicken all the deformed the, the deformed parts of your body all of the weaknesses and the aches and pains in your body all of the the organs that aren't functioning according to the original order of function that God created them to function with. The Spirit of God, when you believe the Word of God, goes to work to quicken your organs, quicken your lungs, quicken your hearts, quicken your bloodstream, quicken anything that has been disrupted and disturbed. Hallelujah. So we're not looking forward to it. We look back to the cross at Calvary. That's why Paul said... Giving thanks unto the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's not going to bless me. He has blessed me. I'm not going to be blessed. I am blessed. I'm not waiting for Jesus to come down again and take a 40th lash on his back. I, by his stripes, he already, Jesus already did everything that was necessary for us to live a holy, godly, and power-filled life. We don't have to wait for him to come and accomplish something else. That's what you call Christ plus, the Christ plus, the Jesus plus doctrine. That Jesus wasn't enough. That we need something, we need, we need to add something to the work, the atoning work of redemption in order for us to receive salvation. That is a, that is a, 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 uh, a heresy and a destructive heresy at that. Everything that was necessary for us to live Healthy lives was accomplished by Christ Jesus at the cross. You have to understand this. Your tumor, that tumor that you have in your body, Christ already took it on his body when he was hanging on that cross. That's why it took him three hours to die and not nine, uh, three days. It usually took two to three days for someone to die by crucifixion. It took him three hours because your cancer was laid on him. Your, your, your kidney problems and failures were laid on him. Your liver growths and all that was laid on him. Your high blood pressure was laid on him. Your uh, malfunctioning lungs were laid on him. Everything that you are struggling with and suffering with in your body today was already laid on Jesus. And I want you to get this one point. If you can get anything from today's broadcast, get this. Satan cannot legally, can never legally lay on you what God already laid on Jesus. God already laid all the suffering of sickness and disease on Christ Jesus so that you wouldn't have to be the, just like we don't have to bear our sins any longer, we don't have to bear sicknesses any longer. Christ took our sins in His body that He might become the sin bearer 
so that we no longer need to bear our sins, live in the reality of our sins, live in the consciousness of our sins. He already took it all. We've been cleansed from those things. In the same vein, He bore our sickness that we don't have to walk in sickness another day in our life. We don't have to bear the sickness. Don't be like that guy that came up to T.L. Osborne that said, I feel like every time I minister healing to others, I or myself, I myself or my wife or my son gets sick and I think God's doing it so that He can, he can keep me faithful in this ministry of sick in this ministry of uh, ministering to the sick you're not the substitute for your sicknesses and your sins he was the substitute of our sickness and our sins you have to see it this way from me to calvary from me to jesus christ was transferred sin sickness poverty destruction sorrow and death from calvary from christ to me was transferred health was transferred health prosperity, righteousness, peace, and life. Divine health is your birthright. You've been born again. Just like when I was born into my family, I have a birthright. I also, my parents have a will and a testament. There's certain things that are going to be left to me and to my siblings. I have a right to those things. Not only that, while they're still alive today, you know, when I was a child, everything that belong to them belongs to me their money became my money their house became my house i didn't say to my friends hey do you want to come over to my parents house growing up i said do you want to come to my house it was my house i claimed it as my own in the same vein in the same vein everything that is in christ when you were born again became your birthright you can lay claim to those things they're yours they're yours you don't have to beg God for it. You don't, have to, you don't even have to ask God for it. That's why the Bible doesn't say that the, pr the prayer to pray when someone's sick is the prayer of request or the prayer of petition or to beg God to be healed. It's the prayer of faith. What's the prayer of faith? There's a difference between the prayer of request and the prayer of faith. The prayer of request is, God, I need you to do this for me. We're not asking God to heal us. We're praying the prayer of faith. What's the prayer of faith? Father, I realize that at the cross, you already healed me. And just as I received you as Savior from sin, so that I no longer have to bear the burden of sin any longer, I receive you today. The prayer of faith, just like we have the prayer of salvation, we lead people in a prayer to accept Christ as Savior from sin in their lives. I'm not saying that that prayer automatically saves someone because some people don't pray it with sincerity. But when they pray it with sincerity, there's a power behind that prayer that gets people to have the born-again experience. In the same vein, there's the prayer of faith for healing. God, I recognize Jesus, that Jesus healed my body, when he took my sicknesses in his body on that cross, that I don't have to stick with this another day in my life. I, the same way I received you as Savior from sin, as my sin bearer, I receive you right now as the Savior from sickness, the Savior of my body, as my sickness bearer. And I'm getting up. I'm getting up. I'm not going to stay sick. I'm not going to stay down. I'm getting up. And I'm going to walk in freedom. Psalm 103, David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He forgives my sins and he heals all my diseases. He didn't separate the two. They were both together in the same package. Jeremiah chapter 8, I believe it is, verse 22. Heal me and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. He didn't separate the two. They were both in the same package. Mark chapter 2, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Which is easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up, get up and walk. But both are in the same package. 
I didn't receive salvation and now I need healing. I received salvation and in salvation, in the package of salvation is healing. Is healing. Hallelujah. I'm going to end there. I had written down five, five methods. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Five methods. So how can you receive healing today? Now that you, now that you uh, are settled, and I pray you are settled and convicted in your heart from the word of God that it's unequivocally God's will to heal you today and that he's not going to push off till tomorrow something he's willing and ready to do for you today. If your faith says yes today, God will not say wait for tomorrow. He'll give it to you today. Bible says... That woman with the issue of blood, she set the date for her healing by her faith, by pressing forward and touching the hem of Jesus' garment. You can set the day of healing for yourself as today by, number one, refusing to be sick, no longer tolerating sicknesses, saying enough is enough, and then doing like the woman with the issue of blood did. She said, I'm going to touch the hem of his garment, and I know today I'm stepping out of the realm of sickness and I'm entering into the realm of healing and health. So let me just go through. These are five ways you can be healed. Some of them you can be healed from this broadcast today, from, from doing and implementing. Others, others you'll, you'll, you'll have to have someone else. You know, let me just get through it. Number one, laying on of hands. James chapter 5, we said, let the elders of the church lay hands on them, pray the prayer of faith, and the sick shall recover. So the laying on of hands. Jesus laid hands on a man that was, I believe he was deaf and mute. And the man received his hearing and his tongue was, his, the impediment of his speech was loose and he began to speak plainly. Mark chapter 16 says, ye shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. So one of the ways that we minister healing to others is by laying hands on people. It's a way that we can loose our faith. There was a woman with diabetes in Brantford, Ontario. I laid hands on her, prayed for her. She fell under the power of God, went. The Lord told her, go and check your blood sugar levels. She had never been able to get it under eight on the, the blood sugar levels. She had a little machine she carried around. And uh, she, obvious, she oftentimes stayed at about 9, 10, and 11 on the sugar level, which is pretty strong diabetes at 10 and 11. And she went and checked her blood sugar level. Remember, with proper diet, exercise, and pills, she never got under 8, which is still very high. She went and checked. She was at 4.7. I went back a year and a half later. Just by the laying on of hands, there was a transference of the healing power of God from this vessel to her. That's what it is. There's an impartation of power that happens through the laying on of hands. Paul told Timothy, the gift that's in you through the laying on of hands. Paul told Timothy... The, stir up the gift that is in you. Neglect, neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given to you through the laying on of my hands. You can transfer spiritual gifts. One of them is the gifts of healing through the laying on of hands. You can transfer healing power to another vessel by taking the action of faith in laying hands on them. She, I went back a year and a half later, totally set free, no more diabetes. She was like thin now, super net. And it's not, she didn't give credit to, you know, I started exercising. She was exercising before. She was doing all those things before. It didn't help her. Through the mystery of the laying on of hands, diabetes fled her body. And it wasn't like a, a three-month relief of diabetes. It was like, I went back a year and a half later, and she was still well, healthy, and healthier than ever. Still at a 4.5 blood sugar level, and very happy as a result. Number two, way that you impart healing to others is by the anointing with oil. 
James chapter 5 says, Let the elders pray over them, anointing them with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So the elders pray, anointing them with oil. Mark chapter 6 says, And the disciples went everywhere, doing what? Anointing with oil those that were sick and casting out devils. So they practiced the anointing uh, with oil. Now there's nothing in the oil itself that has healing virtue to it, but it's symbolic of the anointing, which the anointing lifts up the heavy burden and the Bible says destroys every yoke of captivity. Sickness is a yoke of captivity. When we anoint people with oil, just like Samuel anointed Jesse, uh, anointed David with the oil of his ram's horn and the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. When we anoint people with oil, we are announcing the spirit of God's invasion of their physical bodies and as such, Remember, oil separates, oil sets apart, oil sanctifies. When the oil comes on their bodies and we pray the prayer of faith, we are setting apart sickness from them. We are, we are um, separating sickness from their body, no longer to afflict them another day in their life. We are destroying the thing that is defiling. Remember, Psalm 89 says, I have found my servant David with my holy oil, I will anoint him. And then it says, I will destroy those that plague him and beat back their enemies. So the oil destroys. It is a destructive element towards the things uh, that, uh, of darkness, towards the work of darkness that he would seek to set up in your body. The oil destroys the work of darkness. So that's why we do it by faith. So in the oil itself, I don't think people come up to me and they say, you know, this is oil from the Holy Land. I don't care if it's oil from the Holy Land or if it's oil from Goya. I don't care if it's from South America or the Middle East. I don't care if you got it and it's stale from your living room or if it's the most refined oil on planet Earth. It matters not. It is the fact that you are stepping out in faith, acting on the word of God, trusting and obeying, and as such, you're securing the promise. You remember, every promise of God is converted to the power of God when it is obeyed, trusted, and acted upon. Every promise of God is converted to the power of God to perform what it promises when it is obeyed, trusted, and acted upon. So the oil is just the point of releasing our faith. We're just releasing our faith. We're trusting God. We're acting on His Word. And as such, the promise of James 5 that the Lord will save the sick and raise him up is converted to the power of God that goes through your physical body to fulfill the promise, to make true the promise, to bring to pass the promise. Number three, ways we can minister healing to ourselves and to others. And this is important. This one's a powerful one. Healing via the communion. Healing via the communion. I oftentimes call the communion meal as a miracle meal. Why do I say that? Let me read this from John chapter 6. This is powerful. This one revelation is going to greatly help you and put a heightened appreciation level when you take communion yourself. That it's not just some meal that we do out of religious obligation. There's power released when you do communion. John chapter 6, let's read this. This is what Jesus said. Most assuredly, verse 53, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks my blood has 
Eternal life. And important to note, eternal life, the Greek word is zoe, which refers to the life of God. So it's not talking about stepping into eternity one day. It's talking about God's life, God's nature, God's DNA. The moment you eat of his flesh and drink of his blood is imparted into your body. The divine nature of God transmitted into you. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my, bo- my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I abide in him. Meaning everything Christ is, everything he is. Does Christ have sickness? No. Does Christ have diabetes? No. Does Christ have multiple cirrhosis or fibromyalgia? No. Does Christ struggle with the sniffles? Does Christ have knee pains or back pains? No. And the Bible says everything Christ is when you take this miracle meal abides in you and you become a partaker of it. Verse 57, as the living father has sent me and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me lives because of me. And this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. As the living father uh, sent me and I live, I draw my life source, I draw my strength, I draw my health from the father because he sent me. He that feeds on my miracle meal, eats of the bread and drinks of the blood, he will feed off my life. He'll draw on my life. He'll draw on my strength. He won't be walking in his own strength. He won't be walking in his own efforts. He'll be strong in my power and in the strength of my might. He will walk and he'll live in the reality of that. Let me read this. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings. This is like a very vivid picture of what I just explained. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 38. Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servants, put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs. And he found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds, wild like berries. And he came and sliced them and put it into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. And it served, they served it to the men to eat. And it happened, and it came to pass, as they were eating the stew, that they cried out and said, Man of God, they were crying to Elisha, there is death in the pot, there's poison in the stew, there's disease in this stuff, and they couldn't eat it. So Elisha said, bring me some flour. Important to note, what does, where do we get bread from? What's the key ingredient to bread? It's flour. And Jesus said, My body is what? The bread of life. So this is a symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. What it does when you partake of it. They brought him some flour and he put it into the pot. And then Elisha said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful or poisonous in the pot. So sickness is a disease it's it's a it's a back there might be a bacteria in your body there might be an illness ravaging your 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 structure whether it be in your blood whether it be in your bones whether it be in your mind whether it be in your your flesh there's diseases of the flesh there's diseases of the neural system there's diseases of the blood what what whatever it is it's a bacteria it's an infection it's a virus it's an illness whatever it might be 
The Bible says the flower, which was a symbol, a type of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. When we take that body and, in, and, and eat of it, partake of it, that, that body, the strength of that body goes to war against any bacteria in your own body. And it eliminates every trace of sickness and every trace of disease. It flushes out the virus. It flushes out the infection that just like the pot of stew that carried poison in it, was the poison was neutralized when they cast the meal of wheat in it. Even so, when you eat of this miracle meal, whatever disease or sickness is resident in your body, it gets neutralized and exterminated by the power of the miracle meal. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I mean, you see that in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26. They're at the waters of Meribah, which mean bitter waters. And Moses cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, what, what do I do? We can't drink this water and people are starting to fall sick because of it. It's bacterially infested. You know what God said? Go and take a branch that I will show you. Go and take the branch that I will show you, which is a type of the cross. D.L. Moody used to say it's the type of the cross. Take the branch and cast it into the bitter waters. And it came to pass when they did so, when Moses followed out and carried out that prophetic instruction, that the bitterness of the water subsided and the waters became sweet until this day. And it was in that day that God made a statute with Israel. I am the Lord your God and I am your healer. I am the Lord that healeth thee. You know what that shows you? That was a type of the cross being cast into the bitter waters of Meribah that neutralized the bitterness. Even so, when we partake of the miracle meal and in remembrance of what Christ accomplished for us at the cross, just like if the wood, let me ask you something, if the wood can neutralize bacteria and bitterness from water, how much more, the thing that it symbolized, how much more shall the actual sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, when we remember it in partaking of this miracle meal, neutralize the bitterness of sickness from your physical body and put an end to it forever and ever. It's important to note this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me, let me read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Speaking of the Lord's Supper, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for him. No, Jesus didn't have to come and suffer what he suffered at the cross because he needed his sicknesses healed. He didn't do it because he needed his sins forgiven. He didn't do it because he needed to have victory over the devil. He already had victory over the devil. He's already the sinless, blemish, uh, without blemish, without spot, spotless lamb of God. The Bible says he, he was already healthy. He had all the glory of heaven. Jesus even said, I'm going to return now to the glory which I had for you before I came to earth. He was already the glorious one. He is the preeminent one. He is the all in all. He is the El, El, El Shaddai, the all sufficient God. He had need of nothing. He came for our sins. He came for our sicknesses. He came to give us victory over the devil, to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil so that nothing could ever harm us another day in our life. He came to give us, over, to, uh, us the ability to become overcomers in life. 
He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. He did it for you. For do this in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of, of what I'm about to do and why my body is going to be broken. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Verse 27, pay special attention. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Pay special attention to this last part. Not discerning the Lord's body, not understanding why his body was broken and bruised, not understanding why his back was laid stripes on, not understanding why Jesus went through he, what he did before he went to the cross. If you don't understand the reasons why he took stripes on his back, the Bible says you're not discerning the Lord's body and the consequence of this is, verse 30, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many die for this reason many are sick and weak and dying among you because you haven't discerned you haven't understood you haven't comprehended why jesus took stripes on his body take this bread eat it in remembrance of me in the understanding of why I did what I did. It's not enough just to know Jesus died for my sins and Jesus went to the cross and he took stripes. Why did he do it? Why did he see it necessary to take a pit stop before he went to the wooden beam? You see, if all Jesus wanted to do was to get your sins forgiven, he just had to have his hands pierced because it's the Bible says that uh, he was pierced through for our transgressions. So that's all he would have had to have done. But why did he stop at the whipping post? Because obviously God saw it as an important thing, not only for you to make heaven, but he desires, like I started this broadcast by saying, beloved, I would, I wish, I desire above all things that you would prosper and be in good health. He paid a high price for you to be healthy. So quit making these religious statements. It's, life's not about health. It's not, there's more important things than health in the Bible. You know, what's really important is getting your sins forgiven. Just because sins being forgiven is the most important thing, and I agree with that. Obviously, God saw it of like second to it of utmost importance to include healing in the finished work of redemption. Why else would he have included it if it wasn't important? And why else would he have included it if he didn't want you? To be healed and walk healthy from not just in heaven but here and now but here and now so there's healing and miracles and strengthening power that is released when you take this miracle meal in faith he that eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has not some life in him has my life my life so what's not what's not in the life of god when I eat of that miracle meal, has no business being in my life any longer. Because by virtue of this mystery of redemption, we are joined together with Christ Jesus and are one with Him. We're one with Him. The Bible says in Christ Jesus, the Godhead dwelt in bodily form and we are complete in Him. So what flows in Him flows through me. And I'm 
I can tell you, unless the devil can get to heaven, bypass the holy cherubim, get through the gate of heaven, and take the stripes off Jesus' back and make Christ sick, then he has no business ever accessing your body. Satan cannot legally lay on you what God already laid on Jesus Christ. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take what doesn't belong to him. The proof that he's targeting your health is evidence that healing belongs to you. Healing is the children's bread. Healing is the children's bread. Number four ways people receive healing is gifts of healing. In an anointed service, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts of healing. The working of miracles. Those are ways when you're in a, a, an anointed atmosphere. Luke chapter 5, 17. Jesus was teaching and preaching and the power of the Lord was present there to heal, to heal them. So the, the gifts of healing was flowing through Christ at that moment as he was, as he was preaching to the people. And um, I've found it in my experience with this is that I, I preach faith on healing. I preach faith for people to connect with the word. And there are times... Not in every service, but there are times where the gifts of healing are in manifest. Every time the gifts of healing are in manifest. See, people can believe for themselves and receive healing on an individual case-by-case basis. But when the gifts of healing are in manifestation, everybody gets healed. What do I mean by that? There was a man named A.A. Allen. A boy was brought to him who had, um, they called him monkey boy. He had no bones in his feet. Like spaghetti legs. Just no bone, not like bones, but they were, no, no bones. They, you can twist and turn them and wrap them around your finger. There was no bones. He had, he had the skin, but there was no bones. And so he, they brought him to the man of God and he took, A. Allen took the kid and he, he preached with him for a little while. Then he must have felt the anointing and the gifts of healing like come into operation in his life. And he grabbed the kid and slammed him onto the uh, the platform that he was preaching on, and all of a sudden, the people in the audience, R.W. Schambach told the story, the people in the audience heard like cordwood snapping, his bones reformed, clack, clack, and then feet come out, where there was no feet, and the kid started to walk, wobbling, because he never knew how to walk, he started to walk, and he went and walked to his mother, when that happened, it's like the whole place was flooded by healing power, and there was a wheelchair section with like 13 or 16 people in wheelchairs, all of them unanimously, when they saw that happen, got up, grabbed their wheelchairs over their heads, and brought it to the front of the altar. And everyone in that, R.W. Schambach said, everyone in that meeting was healed without exception. When the gifts of healing are in operation, that's what happens. That's why there's a lot of people who they go to a service like that, they get healed, but then three months later, they, they don't maintain their healing. They end up getting sick again. They fall back into sickness because they were, a, they were in an, an environment that was conducive for the anointing to flow to them. And they were like, they got blessed based on association to the anointing. But they failed to learn to live and develop a life of faith for themselves. And so they fell back into a pit from which God had delivered them from. Because you have to develop your own faith. You have to walk in faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. 
And so that's, honestly, I, there's other reasons why people fall back into sickness, but that's one of the main reasons. They, they feel better for a little while. Man, I don't know. I, I left that service feeling great. They wake up, you know, three days, four days later, they get up, and oh man, that pain's back. I must not have been healed. Because they failed to learn to develop a life of faith. Remember this. Just because you're healed in a service doesn't mean the devil's not going to try and bring symptoms back on you. That's where faith comes into place, that you start to learn, no, actually, devil, you have no place in my body because the man of God when he anointed me with oil or when I believe by faith that by his stripes I am healed that ended this sickness this bout with sickness in my life and I'm not going to go from sickness ditch to sickness ditch I've left the ditch of sickness and now I'm going to walk in health because by his stripes I am healed he's taken sickness that's where faith comes into play where you refuse you reject the symptoms of the devil that's where you resist the devil and he flees from you so it's not like you had a little bit of a good feelings for a little, a little while and then all of a sudden symptoms came back and you know, I guess I must not have been healed. No, you were healed. The devil's trying to bring you back and tie you back down into the captivity that he had you bound with before and that's precisely, precisely the time where you stand up and say, I will not, I'm not going back. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And then number five, and this is what I'm going to finish on, the number five, the fifth way that you can receive healing for your body today and this is the one that you're going to receive from right now and that is faith in the word of god you can receive healing through faith in god's word alone without anybody ever laying hands on you without ever having oil poured on you without ever even being in a church service god can heal you simply by hearing his word concerning his will on divine healing for you today. When you hear it, faith comes by hearing it. When you hear it and believe it, without any third-party assistance, just you and God, you can pull down. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And the force is the force of faith. I want to read Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And beginning with verse 20, listen to what the Bible says. This is what Solomon wrote, who, who had wisdom, unlike any other character in history before him, and other, any other king after him. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. So give attention to what? My words. The word itself. Don't let it depart from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. So it's not just the word in your mind. It's not you reasoning the word. It's not you trying to make sense of the word. It's not you trying to comprehend the word and beating yourself over until you start to know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And he'll direct your paths. The Bible says keep it in the midst of your heart. So even if you don't understand it with your physical mind, if you can catch it with your heart, you see, faith doesn't always have to understand everything. Faith just has to receive it. Just like when Elisha told the man, dig this valley full of ditches, and though you don't see water, and though you don't see rain, it's going to be filled with water. Even though you're not going to see a storm come, God's going to fill it with water, and you're going to be able to drink from it. He said, don't look for rain, don't look for water, don't try and make... Um, uh, don't come to a logical conclusion with it. Don't try and make sense of it. The miracle's going to happen. They had to receive that word with their heart and step out with their heart, with a heart 
rooted conviction that if God's telling me to do this and step out to do this, then he's too faithful to fail. If I'll do my small part, God will do his big part and produce a miracle for me. Keep it in the midst of your heart. Your mind's the wayside. The devil can come and snatch it away. If you sow the word into your mind, he can come and snatch it away. Your mind is the thorny ground. Your mind is the, 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 the shallow ground. Endure for a little while. Maybe you have a little joy when you receive it. But when tribulation, problems, or any type of test comes as a result of the word, you, the, the Bible says the seed that was sown on the shallow ground, it sprouted up for a little while, but the sun scorches it away. You don't endure. You don't last. You don't persevere in faith. But the seed that is sown on the fertile soil, the fertile soil is the heart. When you get the word in your heart, it doesn't matter what you see around you. You know that God is going to make a way no matter what the devil is trying to do to you you know that God's too faithful to fail you have an understanding now that if I'll do my small part God will do his big part if I'll do what is humanly possible to do God will do for me what is humanly impossible to do that's where the word has to get so I'm not just talking about being able to recite the word or quote the word I'm talking about having a word hidden in your heart the heart-rooted conviction that I will not be denied, I will not be disappointed. Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Then it says, what the, the reward of believing God like that? Just receiving the word. Just receiving the word as it is. Paul told the Thessalonian church, I commend you because when you receive the word, you didn't receive it as the word of man. You didn't receive it because Paul wrote it. You didn't receive it because Peter wrote it. We're not reading these books of this is the book Paul wrote. No, this is the book Paul might have penned down, but the Holy Ghost wrote it. Peter might have penned it down, but the Holy Ghost inspired it. All scripture is inspired of God. So Paul was commending the Thessalonian church because they didn't read the scripture as if he had written it. They read the scripture as though God had written it directly to them. And he said, it works its power in those who believe it like such. Remember, the Bible says the word of God is of no effect if it's not mixed with faith. Hebrews 4.2 the scripture says they received the gospel even as we received the gospel, but the gospel didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed in faith in them that heard it. So for the word of God to produce for you, for healing to be kicked into motion through your body, to activate that healing anointing in your body, you have to receive the word and believe the word. Jesus said these words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, but that spirit and that life is activated it's faith activated so what is the reward of receiving the word in your heart verse 22 their life to those that find them and health to all their flesh it's life to those that find it and health to all their flesh health to all your flesh health in your bones health in your skin health in your eyes Health in the nerves behind your eyes. Health in your auditory nerves. Health in your lungs. Health in the, every capillary in your bloodstream. Health in every vein and artery. Health in every single, uh, every single part of your heart. Every artery of the heart connected to the heart. It's health in your lungs. It's health in your mind. It's health in your knees, it's health in your back, it's health in your tendons, it's health in your ligaments, it's health in every single part of your body, it's health to all your flesh. The word of God is medicine to your body. 
Not only can the word give you healing, but it sustains that healing in you. It's, I call it the gospel. It, there's the gospel and then there's the gospel. It's a pill I daily take. Man live not by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it's a gospel. It's a pill I take daily. And when I do, I know whether I feel like it or not, it is injecting. It's infusing my body with divine strength and, and, and fortitude. Job 33, listen to this. So you can receive healing simply on hearing God's word preached to you, Ezekiel 2.2, 2, the spirit entered me as he spoke to me and he set me on my feet. You might be knocked down physically by sickness as you hear, like Ezekiel, the spirit enters you and it sets you up on your feet. And in this case, in the area of being knocked down in the area of sickness, God will set you up on your feet in strength, in health. Job 33, listen to this. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food so that's talking about someone who has no more appetite because of of sickness ripping the appetite of his flesh out of his out of his body he doesn't even want to eat anymore you have that in cancer patients they go down their skin and bones they have no appetite his flesh wastes away from sight his bones are now sticking out which would not which were not once seen. His soul is drawn near to death, to the pit, which is death, and his life to the executioners. Verse 23, pay special attention to this. If there is a messenger, which is what I am, I'm bringing you the message. That's why the Bible calls the evangelist the bearer of good news. The bearer of good news. I'm an evangelist. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me today for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Not just to the poor in spirit, not just to the poor financially, but the poor physically, to the poor in strength. What's good news to the poor in strength? You can be strong. That's why Joel said, let the weak say I'm strong. What's good news to the poor physically, to those that are sick? The good news is, is that there is strength in God. There is healing virtue flowing from heaven that if you'll drink and taste and see of that power today, you don't have to stay down. Listen to this. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, an interpreter, an anointed interpreter, someone who, will, who is among a thousand, who will show man his uprightness, then... So what happens when you start to see things in the word of God? What happens when you have revelation from the word concerning divine health? What happens when you have a messenger, when you have an interpreter showing you that uh, God's healing package, his covenant of health that he has for his children? What happens? Then God will be gracious to that man and will deliver him from going down to death. That's why David said, I would have lost heart had I not believed the word of God that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 118 says, I will live and not die and I will declare the work of the Lord. So someone was preaching to that guy, you don't have to die early. You don't have to die prematurely. You can live off the life and the days allotted to you. You can have a long life. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. You can prolong those days. You can, you can increase in strength. You don't have to degrade and recede and die an early death. You can live a long, prosperous, fruitful life. And as such, he believed that he'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and made a declaration and confession, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. 
The Bible says, Then deliver him from going down to the pit, for I have found a ransom. I found a redeemer, which is Christ. Then his flesh shall be young like a child's. He'll return to the days of his youth. He'll pray to God, and God will delight in him. For he shall see his face with joy and restore to men his uprightness, his righteousness. You can receive healing. He sent his word and it healed them just by hearing and believing the word of God. They came to Jesus to hear him and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Remember, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is quick and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the division of spirit and soul and then bone and marrow. So the power of the word of God can get to the places doctors can't even get to. It can get to the bone. It can get to the marrow. It can get to the very core of the issue that's plaguing your physical strength today. The word of God can go where no surgeon's knife can go. I want you to understand this. All things were made by the word. John 1 establishes that. All things were made by the word. And without the word, nothing was made that was made. And so the word that created you and the word that made your lungs and made your heart is the same word that can repair you. The word that created you, since everything was made by the word, everything can be repaired by the word. Since everything was generated by the word, everything can be regenerated by the word. No matter what the devil's done to you, no matter what has crippled in your body, no matter what organ is malfunctioning, the same word that caused you to have that organ in the first place is going to repair. And let me tell you something. If it can't be repaired, it can be replaced. God is the certified dealer the author the um the, the authorized dealer for mankind. Every authorized dealer. Ford is an authorized dealer. There's they have authorized dealers. What does it mean? They have genuine parts on hand. They're not giving you some made in China part or whatever. They're giving you genuine parts. They're giving you the authentic parts and they can replace it. If the thing, if your if your engine backfired, if your catalytic converter, if they still have those backfired, if your muffler needs replaced, whatever needs replaced in the car, there are authorized dealers that have certified parts that have been made by Ford themselves. They're not giving you counterfeit. They're not giving you some rebranded parts or some parts that were produced in some shady factory somewhere else in the world. They're giving you the legitimate stuff. In the same vein, God created you and he is the authorized dealer for your life that no matter what part that is broken, no matter what organ is malfunctioning, God has spare parts in heaven. They, if it can't be repaired, it can be replaced. If they've already taken out organs and kidneys and livers or whatever they've taken out of you, God can put a brand new kidney in you. If they've taken a lung out of you, God can give you a brand new lung. Reminded of my friend in Bible college, Ed LeGros, 40 something years old, diagnosed with cancer, stage four, was down to a very lightweight, white and gray ghostly type of film on his face he was dying and dying quickly and he came we prayed for him not if it be thy will lord we just know in the name of jesus christ i curse the work of sickness in his body i command by the prayer of faith this man to be restored and be made well we anointed him with oil two weeks later he was out on a john deere truck mowing the lawn and i said brother ed why are you mowing the lawn shouldn't you be in bed or something he said i went back to the doctor like 10 days after they did an MIT, a CAT scan, the results came back. 
Not only are my, my lungs restored, they're not even the same lungs. The guy said, these aren't even the same lungs that we took on the x-ray last time we took the x-ray. These are brand new lungs. God, if you've had anything taken out of your body, God can give you brand new parts. Oh, hallelujah. That's called a creative miracle. And my God's going to do that for you today. If you need a new kidney, a new ki- I speak a new kidney into your body. You need a new lung. You need a new heart. The doctors are saying you're going to have a heart transplant soon if, if this doesn't let up. We've tried everything you're clogged your arteries are clogged and there's nothing else we can do we're going to add you to the list but chances are you're not going to make it in time for that list to get to your name God's going to give you a gentle squeeze in that heart right now and every clogged artery is being cleared and a new heart is being formed in your body in Jesus name faith in God's word faith in God's word will do it for you Matthew 8 and I'll finish with this the centurion came to Jesus and said, just speak the word, and I know my servant will be whole. Just speak the word. Is there anybody watching me that all they need is a word spoken their way? I'm not talking about a prophetic word. I'm talking about the word of God that tells you already that you have no business staying sick. You have no business staying sick. You have no business staying paralyzed, staying crippled. Victimized by pain. Barely getting through the week. Taking all kinds of pills. You have no, as a child of God, healing is the children's bread. Be like the centurion servant. All I need is a word from heaven. That tells me, well, here's your word. Here's your word. The centurion said, all I need is a word from you. Just say the word and I know he's going to be healed. He was saying, just tell me you want to do it and then just give off the command. And I'm a man under authority. I know that authority subdues anything under it. The authority of the word of God subdues anything under it. And last I checked, sickness is still under the feet of Jesus Christ. And you being a part of Christ's body, sickness is under your feet. So you don't need a word from heaven. You already have the word from heaven. He bore your sickness and carried your pains. He carried your sickness. You don't have to pay double for something Jesus already paid. And by his stripes you're healed. So take it. In Jesus' name, rise up and walk. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.